Hi, I'm Emily Abbott. Welcome to The Brain Possible, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts that you can give your children is the gift of hope and possibility. Hope to fulfill their dreams or to achieve all that they want in this life. Hope to walk independently. Hope to speak. Hope to have a conversation with you and to be able to tell you what they are thinking out loud. As for possibility, imagine that anything is possible if only you have the faith to believe it. Your journey to become more empowered, informed, connected, and free from limitations starts now. We're so happy that you're taking this journey with us. Our next guest is Jennifer Regazzo, functional medicine health coach. In her practice, Keeping It Real Holistic Health Coaching, Jennifer uses her training in applied functional medicine to help her clients optimize their health by looking for the interconnectedness within their unique body and identify and address root causes to the diseases and symptoms that they may be experiencing. She is particularly passionate about the gut and adrenal health and preventing and or treating autoimmune diseases. The context for this interview is to hear from Jennifer on the physical effects of trauma and long-term stressors on our bodies and mama's bodies in particular. Our listeners definitely will get to hear about how being in fight or flight mode for extended periods of time or having experienced PTSD once or repeatedly from traumatic experiences affects our bodies, our adrenals, hormones, cortisol levels, anxiety, depression, sleep, and mood. We'll talk about some of the small and big steps that anyone can take right away to begin bringing their bodies back into a balanced state. Please welcome Jennifer. Well, thanks for taking the time to talk to me, Jen. I wasn't sure if we should mention to anyone that you're my sister or if we should just talk like we just met. But I wanted to start with the context for this episode so that we can bring presence to it. And we're going to hear from Jennifer Regazzo, functional medicine health coach, on the physical effects of trauma and the long-term stressors on our bodies and mama's bodies in particular. Our listeners want to know... How does being in a fight or flight mode for extended periods of time and or post-traumatic stress disorder from traumatic experiences affect our bodies, adrenals, hormones, cortisol levels, anxiety, depression, sleep, and mood? It is a lot jam-packed in there, but a topic that's important to us here because so many caregivers have gone through many traumatic experiences, big and small, time and time again often, and often they're always in that that state. And we're going to get to talking about, we're going to want to know what are some of the small and big steps that anyone can take right away to begin bringing their bodies back into a balanced state. So welcome, Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me. This is fun. Yeah. I think let's just start with, can you explain to us in layman's terms, 
what is it that actually is happening to the body physically and physiologically when it has been under stress or when it is in a state of stress? Sure, absolutely. Well, first of all, I want to just explain to all the listeners here that stress hormone that we're going to be talking about today, and we're talking about prolonged periods of stress, but stress in the short term is not necessarily a bad thing, right? Like the stress helps our bodies to react when it needs to react. You know, if your child is running towards the street and you have that rush of adrenaline and you run out and you grab your child, that stress hormone, that cortisol, that increases as you go run towards your child. That's a that's a necessary thing. And we need that. We need that to stay alive. But today we're really going to focus on the prolonged stress that many parents, especially parents of special needs, face. So what, what can really happen is the body, when it's under chronic stress, it's pumping out that cortisol in a way that is it's continuous. So that continuous pumping out of too much cortisol can put a strain on the adrenal gland. So I'm going to take a little step back and I'm going to explain to you, you know, what are the adrenal glands and and what do they do? What's their role in the body? Because many people don't even know. I can honestly say that I had no idea before I really started to understand the human body and the interconnectedness in the human body. I mean, when I was a young mom, my kids are all teenagers now, but when I was a very young young mom, I had no idea what the adrenals glands were or what they did. Um, you know, I heard that term adrenal fatigue tossed around and all I really associated it with was like being chronically tired, which I felt chronically tired all the time. So The adrenal glands are little glands that sit on top of our kidneys, and their job is to regulate our sex hormones and cortisol. So that cortisol is what I was just talking about, is our stress hormone. They help to regulate our metabolism. They help to support our immune system, regulate blood pressure. They give us that that stress response that oftentimes we need and we want. It helps us get out of bed in the morning. So when we are in a prolonged period of stress, that maybe we are not giving ourselves the opportunity to go from what we call the sympathetic dominant state or fight or flight state into a parasympathetic state, which is our rest and like our rested state, our calm, our blood pressure is, is down, our blood, you know, our blood pressure isn't spiking really high, our heart rate is beating nice and normally, it's not beating really fast. But when we stay in that fight or flight mode for too long, it can have some negative effects on the body. And that's, you know, what we're going to talk about today. We're not talking about it in a, I'm going to come here and scare you and all of you parents out there who know that you are under more stress than maybe the average parent. I want this to be a really helpful conversation. I want it to be a conversation that empowers you and helps you to really just bring awareness because I I do believe that when we know better, we can do better and bringing awareness to how our body works and different little little tools and hacks that we can use to try and support our, our body better. Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. Adrenals have been explained to me many times as well. And I've been in this world of, um, I'm not a healthcare practitioner, but I have my own functional medicine doctor and I've had a naturopathic doctor. And every time they explain it to me, I feel like I understand a little bit more, but I get it conceptually. <laughs> 
Sure. Absolutely. Well, it's just like real, like we don't need to understand it and all the different intricacies. This is like the big picture. We have a brain, right? Every, every one of us has a brain. And so think of that brain, like picture that brain in your head right now. And on top of the brain, on top of the head, I want you just to picture all the external stressors that can be coming at you. And we're going to talk about external stressors. Sometimes they'll lead to internal, but I'm not going to get complicated today. So let's just think about those external stressors. You've got to take care of your children. Maybe you're working. You've got deadlines for work. You have to get dinner on the table. There's traffic. Right now, many of us are living with a lot of people in our home a lot with the various amounts of quarantining going on and social distancing going on in the country right now. We've got extra economic stressors. So think about all of those stressors kind of coming in to the brain, signaling that brain to then tell the hypothalamus, which is our control tower, to send out that stress hormone, the cortisol. So it's sending a signal over to the adrenal glands. And those adrenal glands, help! Like the adrenal glands sitting on top of the kidneys, they're just hanging out, waiting for that signal. So they're getting the signal going, oh my goodness, we need to pump out a little bit more cortisol or, you know, maybe back it down a little, a little bit more. You know, cortisol, a nice healthy cortisol pattern throughout the day, we're going to see a nice curve, like a diurnal pattern where we wake up in the morning. We don't want it to be too high. That's when you wake up and you feel really jacked and your heart is racing. You know, you start to wake up. You don't want to wake up feeling too sleepy, but you wake up and it starts to increase throughout the day. And then as we go towards the evening, you're decreasing again. You wake up and you feel super jacked. That, no, that you don't want to feel jacked. No, actually, no. Because I wake up really slowly. It takes me a few hours to wake up. Yes, and that, and that might have something to do with your adrenal function. I don't know what your personal adrenal function is, Emily. <laughs> right? I'm saying that we don't want cortisol in the morning. To cortisol in the morning is not supposed to be at its highest. A lot of people who do have a slow start to the morning, they'll rely on something like coffee. They'll drink coffee or caffeine because that caffeine is going to raise cortisol a little bit and give you that that alertness, right? So that's why some people wake up and they're like, don't talk to me until I get my caffeine. So what can happen over time is that the adrenal glands, when we are in that sympathetic dominant state, that fight or flight, like think about when you're in fight or flight, you feel that rush of adrenaline. When we are in that state for too long, that can put a strain on the adrenal glands. And I like to look at it like when you're in your car and you're revving the engine, you're revving the engine, you're burning through your gas so much faster. And then over time that you're not going to get as great gas mileage in the car, right? So the same thing can happen to us with our stress hormones when we're just residing too long in that fight or flight state. Okay, got it. All right. So I kind of want to dive into what in the world can we do about that? So we know that I'm picturing, you know, all the things that you said that the average parent has to deal with, even, you know, working parents and non-working parents and taking care of the whole home, if you do that all by yourself. But then sometimes there's excessive tantrums and behavioral problems that some parents have on their plate with different kinds of conditions that their children are suffering from. Or another one that I was recently brought to to my mind was seizures. We don't know when they're going to happen. 
And when it does, it's super scary. And your body is in that, like my kid just went into the street kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And my heart goes out to the parents who are like what you just described. There's the acute stress of when the child is having, say, an extreme temper tantrum or a seizure. And then there's also that just simmering stress that you might be living with 24-7 in anticipation of that event, right? So honestly, I wish that I had this perfect answer and I don't want to come off like I am insensitive or ignorant to the fact that parents of children with special needs, they are living with an additional stress that doesn't ever go away. So I don't necessarily like the term stress reduction or like let's work on eliminating your stress because for many people, we cannot take away the things that are our biggest stressors. I mean, even myself, I have three children, I have a business that I run. I mean, there's those normal things insofar as I can't remove any of them. But what we can do is we can work on our stress perception. It's our perception of what is happening to us. So the same exact thing can be occurring for us, but in that moment, how we perceive it can have an incredibly different physiological response in the body, right? So that is not something that we snap our fingers and all of a sudden we can perceive stress very different. That takes that takes some work and that takes some intention. And that, Emily, really is where as individuals, we need to show up for and do the work around that. There's a lot of mindset work, visualization, meditation. I have to say meditation is probably one of the most powerful tools that you can have in your toolbox for anybody, really, when dealing with stress. And so for parents of children with special needs, one of the things when I was really reflecting on what I wanted to share today with you guys that would be very helpful is how can you build your toolbox up so that you're able to manage and perceive your stressors in a way where it doesn't bring that physiological harm or a negative response to your body because ultimately you are the caregiver. So you want to feel your very, very best. You want to be on top of your game. You want to have energy. You want to feel joy and get out of bed in the morning, excited for the day, not lacking the amount of, you know, again, the amount of energy that you need. Because when we're having a physiological stress response and it's been going on for a long period of time, we can have negative physical symptoms show up in our body. So meditation is huge. And It's something I'm learning about and trying to practice more often, but I also get that it looks different for a lot of people, how they meditate. There's all different types of meditation. So I want to hear what you like to do and your practice and your favorite methods. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to share with you guys as if you guys were coming to me and you were coming to me for advice. Maybe you're coming to me for advice because you're in my audience or maybe you're a client of mine because I will be very honest here. Stress is the number one driver of disease that I see in common with every single person that I work with, regardless of what they are coming to me with. And stress can be 
external, it can be internal. So there could be physical drivers of stress going on. But what I do also find is a strong correlation between the external and internal. So what I'm saying there is somebody might show up in my office with anxiety and joint pain and headaches and IBS and insomnia, very common, especially right now, I'm seeing a lot of that because, you know, where we are, I think globally with not only the pandemic, but we've got, you know, probably another dozen big stressors on top of us. People are absorbing that and that's showing up for them in the physical. So we've got the mental and emotional stressors and then, but that still will show up for us in our body and the physical because the body is always speaking to us. So even if a stressor is, I'm never taking time for myself, I'm residing 24 seven in a fight or flight mode. I'm go, go, go. I'm worrying about my children. I'm worrying about, am I caring for them properly? I'm worrying about whether or not they are having a seizure. What the body does is the body then absorbs that. So I see this all the time. So if we don't address that stress, that underlying stress to whatever is showing up in the physical, it's like we're going to stay on this hamster wheel. You know, you can change up the diet. That's important. You can add in physical movement that's safe for you, whether that's yoga or running or walking. Absolutely. You can take some supplements. Wonderful. But if you're not getting to the root cause here, then we're keeping that door open for disease to just keep revolving in and revolving in. So when it comes to starting a mindfulness practice, if you are somebody who has never, ever done anything, or maybe you used to, But then life changed. And in an instant, and I know that this is something that obviously, Emily, you lived through and you can relate to in an instant, your life changed and your life became all about your child. And especially again, when your child has a special need. So when you step into that so abruptly, life isn't about you anymore. It's about caring for somebody else. But the reality is, that if you're not caring for yourself and you're not filling your cup up at the beginning of the day, you're not going to have anything to pour out and pour out and pour out. You can do it for a little period of time. You can really try and like scrape up the last couple drops out of your cup and keep pouring. But the, the reality is the body is not going to withstand that for a long period of time. So where do we start with that? We have to start really small. You know, a meditation practice, there, like you said, there's a, such a wide variety of meditation practices out there, ranging from five minutes to people who go into five hours of deep meditation and go into a whole nother meditative state. Now, that's, that takes practice. That takes time. That takes discipline. So where do we start when we have nothing, but we're aware that we have to start something? What I usually do with my clients is I encourage them to pick one thing that they can commit to showing up for that's what I call a mindfulness practice that's just calming down their mind and helping them to focus in in a rested state on one thing. So for some people, I would actually say most people, one of the most effective things you can do is get a journal, doesn't have to be fancy, and gratitude journal, just Maybe you start with three things every single day you're going to commit, no matter what, to write down three things that you're really grateful for that day. 
And they have to be more than just one word. Maybe it's a, a whole line. Like, I am so grateful that I am home with my child and I hear their little footprints upstairs and that I get to witness the changes in them every single day. Instead of, because you're flipping the switch, because when day, the days become repetitive and they are one after the other after the other, and they do have a lot of challenges within the day, our natural instinct is to wake up and think, oh my goodness, oh, I have to do it all over again today. And I can't believe that this is on my plate and this is on the plate. And we start to look at the negative. But if we can first thing in the morning, flip the switch on that and lift it up in gratitude, we actually raise our energetic vibration. And by raising the energetic vibration, we bring down the heart rate, right? So that in and of itself, we relax that release of intense pumping out of cortisol, we're calm. So that calm demeanor is putting you into that parasympathetic state. For a lot of people, Emily, that is just a, a very tangible thing because they're not even quite ready to close their eyes and meditate because they close their eyes and all they do is get bombarded with their to-do list and all the things and the noises in their head. And that's just too hard. So once you start to master showing up for a regular gratitude practice, maybe you start off with three and you say you're going to challenge yourself for the first two weeks to write three things, but you're going to do it every single day. And then you're going to stretch it to five and that's going so well for you. How can you build upon that? That's where I often will guide people to pick, all right, let's pick another mindfulness activity to choose that you are going to be able to show up for it. That's the key is it can't be too big because if it's too big, you're not going to do it. If it's too big, we actually, because we're human, we have to carve out new neural pathways here. And a lot of parents out there who are working with children and brain-based therapies, you know all about carving out new neural pathways, right? So for ourselves, we still have to carve out a new neural pathway. We have to make this our normal. But in the meantime, the amygdala and the brain is freaking out because you're asking it to sit down. You're asking it to go shut yourself in a room and close your eyes and take some deep restorative breaths. Like that is so much for you because you've never done it before. So you have to pick something small enough that's not going to freak out the amygdala. And I picture the amygdala in the brain like a sleeping lion. And we've got the sleeping lion there and we want to tiptoe around the sleeping lion just enough that we don't wake him. Because when we wake him, he freaks out and, he's, and that's when you're like, oh, screw this. I can't do this. See, I, I have to just pour out for this other person. There's just no way I'm going to have to just live in fight or flight. So maybe that is the next activity is you pick something very small. I love the apps that are available right now. There's so many. You can try Headspace is a really good one for somebody starting. Very, very simple. I actually remember when I started trialing Headspace, I'm like, I love this. He's not even telling you to close your eyes. He's telling you to keep them open and just watch the traffic go by. Just don't engage in the traffic, you know, like the, the busyness of life. So you could even try doing that with your children right in front of you. So that's actually a fabulous practice in that we, you know, kind of going backwards to that stress perception. So, well, the, the children are still running around or, I mean, you know, you live it too. They're, they're dumping out blocks and they're doing things. But can I challenge myself for five minutes not to emotionally and mentally engage, 
where I'm just sitting here. I'm like, cool. I'm cool. I'm calm. I'm collected. I'm handling this. So that's another practice. So it's just another idea that I have. And then deep breathing. I mean, simplest thing ever is to do a box breath where you picture you're breathing in a square. So you go, you know, you're breathing in and then you're blowing it out. But in your mind, you're picturing that square and then you're going in and you're blowing it out in a square. Very, very simple. You're just filling in the lungs and you're holding and you're moving around that square. Maybe you get to move that, do a box breath one time, just one time. And then you do it again and again and again. Last year, I had a client that I worked with whose daughter, she did have a child with special needs. And she came to me because the physical started to show up for her in her gut and her chronic migraines and her anxiety. And that was not helping her show up for her daughter. She felt like every day was a catastrophe. So breathing, she started with the gratitude and then she chose because she thought meditation was still too hard for her. She had to close her eyes, all the things. She said, I'm going to work on breathing. And she was so cute because I'll never forget when we had a session. And I, I usually do two weeks between my sessions. And she couldn't wait to tell me that her daughter started, every time her daughter would see her start to do her breathing, her daughter started to do it with her. And so she's like, Jen, this is the best thing ever. I don't need to, I don't need to do anything. But when she's acting up or she's having a tantrum and she actually was a little girl who was prone to seizures, she said, I had a tool and I was like in me, it was in my body and I could just use it any time. And so she felt very, very empowered and she was able to see those positive shifts. So as I'm describing this, can you see how you're stacking your like habit stacking and you're changing and you're bringing on these tools that are helping create these positive shifts for you as a parent? No, this isn't something that we can wave a magic wand and fix overnight, but you absolutely can train yourself. You can you know, carve out those new neural pathways. And you can start to have a very different experience. So very long answer to your question about where do you begin? What do you do about it? Right. Yeah. No, breathe. I guess that's what I get. And I I did that today. I had to put my three-year-old down for a nap and it wasn't what I wanted to be doing at the moment. He'd already been napping, then pooped, then did a bunch of other things. And then I laid there and did the breathing for, and I did the method for counts in, four out. And they do that. They imitate you. There's actually a cute little app. I don't usually uh, recommend electronics, but there's one when in dire need by Sesame Street that they do the breathing thing. <laughs> and the monster does the breathing thing. It's a wonderful thing to teach your kids to meditate early on. So breathing, I got that. Breathing helps your adrenals and that will help bring us into a balanced state. And I suppose, is that why yoga is also good for our adrenals? Oh my goodness, absolutely. So yoga and the practice of yoga, that's a prolonged activity of mindfulness. So in yoga, you are concentrating on these slow body movements and breath. So you're connecting breath with movement. And so breath is so powerful, as you just said, you know, when in doubt, breathe. Because the very first thing we do in this world is we take a breath and the last thing that we do is we exhale a breath. So when we want to come back to center and ground ourselves, we remind ourselves 
of breath and breath gives life. So in yoga, you're connecting breath with movement. And any of you who have taken a yoga class know, you know, for with the exception of sometimes when you're trained to lay there in vinyasa and not able to shut your mind off. But when you're actually connecting the breath with the movement, you really don't think about too much else because you're focusing in on those slow movements, the slow holds. And that's a beautiful thing because you're clearing the mind. You're thinking of nothing else. And so it's powerful. It's very supportive of adrenal health, not all yoga. I mean, there's power yoga that's that I would say is more stressful. I'm talking about like yin yoga. Vinyasa, I think, because it's the same repetitive. Yeah. And kundalini. I love kundalini yoga. That's a different style of yoga where you're chanting and but you're using breath and it really helps to calm that central nervous system, that sympathetic dominant response and get you into that parasympathetic. So that parasympathetic, really picture that as like the goal of where you want to try and get as often as possible. Because in the parasympathetic state is where healing occurs and parasympathetic state is where our body will relax and allow digestion fertility. So when we're in fight or flight 24-7, the body shuts down on two big things. That's digestion and fertility. So because we're running for our life, our body, like at the beginning of time, when we were in fight or flight, we were literally running for our life. We were running from a bear, running from like enemies. We were going prolonged periods of time without food. So our, you know, we're human. The body didn't get the message that we can just go to the grocery store, that we're not, you know, we're not running for the li- our life anymore. But we live in a world where we tell it, oh, no, everything's an emergency, everything. So we don't breathe. We don't get that heart rate down. We shove food down our throat really quickly. So when it comes to other little hacks that you can bring into your day to try and calm yourself and get into that parasympathetic state, that again, ideal state, all the moms out there and dads too. When you're about to sit down and eat, take a breath, sit, close your eyes, offer up some gratitude, say a prayer. But that act of slowing down, of calming down, that's going to help you get into that parasympathetic state which then allows digestion to occur. You know, too often parents, and I did this when my children were young, we stand up, we don't sit down. We're so concerned with feeding our children and cutting their food and they're throwing food on the grounds. And we're not actually even aware of what we're shoving in our own mouth. We're just putting food in our mouth. Our body is not properly digesting it. It's not just about what we eat. It's also about... Are we able to digest it, break it down, and get those nutrients into the cells? So, gosh, if we're shoving food down and we're not even aware, and then we might as well not even be eating. And it sounds very dramatic, but maybe it's a situation, actually, the same mom that I was coaching last year that I told you about. One of the things that she came up with was, I'm actually not going to eat dinner with my daughter. I'm going to eat dinner after she's in bed. Because in our conversation and discovery of what was going on for her and her body, It was not serving her to shove food down in a more stressed state and she would get stomach aches and, you know, she suffered from like IBS type symptoms. So yeah, she decided, you know what, I put my daughter to bed pretty early. I'm going to just eat dinner later. And it turned out to be like a really nice ritual for her and her husband. And she was able to chew, breathe, savor. Mm, That's beautiful because 
I normally always think again to that, you know, there's another ritual is being around at the table together. But if it's not serving you, it's okay to do something different. And that's a great suggestion. What are the markers? How can you tell that someone has, we keep talking about adrenal fatigue. How can you tell that one of your clients has that? Is it just by them saying their symptoms or isn't that something that you can see in a test? Yeah, it is. So typical symptoms that we will see if somebody is, if I suspect that the adrenals are not functioning optimally, I'll say it like that. It's not that they are fatigued in that they're not working. They're working. They're just being, they're having all of these, you know, fight or flight. They're being asked to do too much. So some of the symptoms that I'll see, increased anxiety, headaches, actually insomnia. So somebody would be incredibly fatigued and tired, but then they try and go to bed and they're wired and tired. That's me. (laughs) Yeah, you're wired and tired. So yeah, being wired or tired, that's a very, very common one. It's challenging to get up in the morning. You need, you know, the caffeine, you need the cups of coffee, you don't want anyone to talk to you. That's another one. Afternoon dips like major where they just feel like they need this nap in the afternoon. Sometimes people will actually be exhibiting like GI issues, heartburn, gas, bloating. Those are some other signs that other things are involved as well, but that the adrenal glands might not be functioning optimally. So thyroid issues as well, because adrenal glands, I always say they trump the thyroid. So if your adrenals are being taxed, then the thyroid might not be functioning optimally, which can lead to like brain fog, weight gain, sluggish metabolism. There's a whole, that's a whole nother conversation. So those are some of the things that we look for insofar as testing. So in my practice, I use something called the Dutch test. So the Dutch test is a dried urine test where it looks at all of your hormones, your hormone metabolites not only the amount of hormone that you have on board, but also how are your hormones being metabolized and broken down in the body? That's very important. And then it looks at adrenal function. That's a big part of it because hormones and adrenals are also very, very connected because again, the adrenal glands are also partially responsible for the production of our sex hormones. So you do a sample, a urine sample, five times in a 24-hour period of time. So we get a really good idea of what's going on with you. If you wake up to pee in the middle of the night, we get a peek at it, Uh, you know, first thing in the morning, a couple hours after you're awake. So it's a phenomenal test because it gives, when I get those results, it really gives me that data that can confirm maybe my suspicions and affirm what somebody might be feeling, but it also gives us guidance as to where in the day do we need support. First and foremost, we will still always have to work on the root cause of the stress because that is always what's driving. Sometimes it is physical stress, like if there are gut infections and things going on in the gut or if somebody has Lyme disease or you know chronic molds, there's things that will be also stressors that affect the adrenal glands. But in the meantime, you know there are some, we could change the diet a little bit. We can change lifestyle. You know, For many people who are under a great amount of stress, Going to a spin class is not going to be as beneficial as a yoga class because that spin class is going to tell the body and the mind, wow, we are under immense stress. Like, great, you're stressed. Now you're going to really be stressed. 
Okay, good. I don't have to feel bad about not ever signing up for Soul Cycle. Exactly. No, it's not going to serve you at this time in your life. So I actually have worked with people, and this actually happened to me about a decade ago when I was under an immense amount of stress in life. You know, there was about two years where there was just a lot of stuff going on. And I decided that it was a fantastic time to start running half marathons and tough mutters and because I, I don't know, I didn't know any better. And I started towards the end of those two years, I started to actually gain weight and I was so chronically fatigued. And that was when my adrenals decided to crash and burn. So I've done a lot of repair work since then, but I'm very, very conscientious. So those are, you know, that test, it shows me how I can help support other people. There are, you know, sometimes it's warranted to use different herbs or sleep support to help support the adrenal glands, to help get you into a deeper sleep. You know, people need help. You know, if there's a period of time in your life where you're not sleeping, first and foremost, we have to get you sleeping. So if we need to use like some L-theanine and melatonin um, or, or phosphatidylserine or things like that to try and get you sleeping, awesome. There's nothing wrong with it. Knowing that this is, you know, we're on a journey right now, you're in process and you're going to continue to do your gratitude journaling and your box breathing and get outside in nature. Actually, I didn't even mention that one. That's something you can even do with your children. Get outside, take your shoes off and go in the grass and get out in, in the forest and go for walks because that is probably one of the most calming things that you can do for the body and the mind and the adrenals. Yeah, I think there's been some studies that show that it's the same benefits as meditation. And then there's grounding. Yes. Explain what that is. Absolutely. So the earth resonates at a certain frequency. It's called the Schumann frequency. And when we stand on the earth with our bare feet, that vibration, it's not like you're sitting on a washing machine. You're not going to feel it vibrate. But when you're standing or sitting your body and your mind, you will actually start to feel calmer. It will ground your energy. So any of you listeners out there, maybe you're feeling this way, even as you're listening, if you just take a scan of yourself right now, do you feel heavy to the earth or or do you feel a little frenetic? Like, ooh, gosh, if I were a helium balloon, I would take off in the air right now. So I don't know if you've ever felt that way. I can honestly say that that's something that I have to be incredibly mindful of myself because my natural tendency is to be more frenetic and like, ah. and so for me personally, getting outside and grounding is one of the most powerful things for me. So taking your shoes off and your socks off, if you can, if not, you can wear your socks, but you just walk around in the grass 20 minutes, you know, get outside and play with your children, sit you know, maybe actually the children are napping, go take a book and or do your meditation and gratitude journaling outside in the grass, if weather is permitting, you know, when we walk on the beach, that's one time that most almost everybody can say, yeah, the beach is so calming. That's because we're walking on the earth in our bare feet, and we're absorbing the vibrations from the earth. And there's been so much research about earthing out there, insofar as it helping to bring down chronic inflammation and help with blood pressure and insomnia and all of it. And to me, it just makes sense because we're calming down the body. We're getting into parasympathetic state. We're supporting adrenal function. Of course, that's when healing happens, right? Like in that parasympathetic state. So yeah, earthing and grounding are fantastic. And I think it's actually really good for your immune system too, to be outside and be in nature and get in dirt. And it's free. I'm thinking about this spa that I used to go to every once in a while for a treat. 
every massage bed or even in their sauna, they had sound healing and it was resonating the vibrations of the earth. So it was like you barely felt it, but it just somehow felt so good. And here you are, that's a fancy spa. You pay for that, but you can just go outside. You absolutely can go outside. You know, you can go outside for free and, and, and ground. You can. You absolutely can. I have um, grounding bands. You can get them. I bought mine on Amazon. I think I paid like 80 or $90, but they mimic the vibration from the earth too. So sometimes when I'm working and I'm, I'm sitting on my computer for a long period of time, which is like opposite of grounding, I will put my grounding bands on and they just vibrate ever so slightly. And so they help keep me calm. On your wrist? You put them around your ankles. On your ankles. Yeah, you could put them in your wrists too, but yeah, you put them on your ankles and they, again, they just mimic earthing. So that's why they were created. But the ideal is for us to get outside more and be in nature more. I mean, there's lots of things. There's grounding mats. I mean, there's tools, there's biohacking tools that we can use. They are not only very effective for adults, but they are also for children. And those are, I mean, I know that you've had a lot of people on your podcast talking about different tools that you can use, but we're trying to focus here on like the free, easy things that you can start to integrate throughout your day. Hey, another one I'd love to talk about that I was told would help me for a few different reasons a while ago was to stop drinking coffee. Mm, Yeah, I know. (laughs) I don't actually miss it. The only thing I like is the smell of it. And I suppose if I was in somewhere like really, it was really amazing. But can you explain why matcha is better than coffee for someone who is maybe having a whole lot of stress, their adrenals are depleted, and they're going to float away like a hot air balloon? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So coffee, what coffee does is it does spike cortisol. It's what people are looking for when they drink it. Some people metabolize coffee better than others. That's just genetic. I do not metabolize coffee well, and you probably do not either. We're sisters. I think we have a lot of the same genetic, you know, little funky things. It also spikes blood sugar. But again, some people manage it better than others. But when you are already in a place where your body is under stress, you have a lot of stress. That's a time where you need to assess what can I control and what can I not control? Now, if you're drinking coffee to counter the stress that your adrenals are already under and they're not pumping out cortisol at the right times of day and you're feeling very fatigued, you're revving that engine on the car again. So you're putting more strain on the adrenals. So you will have that cortisol spike, but that spike doesn't last for very long. It actually will dip again, which is why for those of you who drink coffee, most people who rely on coffee, who are not good metabolizers. I mean, people like my husband metabolize it so well. He could drink coffee. What does that mean? How can you tell they metabolize it or not? You could drink a cup of coffee before bed and still go to sleep. And that means you metabolize it very well? Yeah. Yeah. There's actually a genetic polymorphism. It's a SNP that is associated with that. So it's pretty fascinating to me because I, even when I was a coffee drinker, I was never able to drink it past noon or else I would be like wide awake until three in the morning. It can take up to 12 hours to get that caffeine out of your system. So you have to be very mindful of that as well. If you're somebody who is struggling with sleep, but you want to step away from the coffee when you're struggling with some adrenal insufficiency, because again, you're just, you're revving that engine too much. So 
other options like green tea and matcha just happens to have more L-theanine, but L-theanine is something that's found in matcha, green tea, black tea, and L-theanine is an amino acid that is a very, very calming and so actually Japanese monks discovered matcha years ago, many, many years ago, they discovered that when they drank matcha before they went into an all-day meditation, it would actually help give them a calm focus. So no jitters, no highs, lows, and crashes, but instead they had a little bit of that energy, but it, it was a very focused energy. And the L-theanine, the amino acid found in the green and black tea is very, very calming. You actually can buy straight L-theanine as a supplement. It's fantastic. But that's the reason why you're going to feel much better on something like green and black tea, even though it still has caffeine. And then some people, Emily, truthfully, need to 100% stay away from caffeine. I mean, if we're, if we're riding the roller coaster all day long and not sleeping at night, there's a period of time where you might just want to completely cut it out or wean yourself down or wean yourself off. Or if you're scared of weaning yourself off, though, I have to say that I am someone who wake, takes a long time to wake up and was nervous about not having something. And it took me a little while to figure out the way I like my matcha, but it is plenty to give me energy and I don't have any crash at all. Yeah, I'm exactly the same. I finally had to face the coffee's not serving you because I would give it up and then I'd reintroduce it and I'd give it up. And it wasn't until I did a food sensitivity test and my body was like, yeah, no, we actually have even developed antibodies to the coffee. You weren't listening to us. And I love, 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 love matcha. But I find that even when I skip it, it's okay. Like I finally come to that place where I, I mean, there was a time in my life where I was terrified to give up coffee because I didn't think I could survive. And so actually on the same note, I'm talking about like the things that you could do to help support your body or, you know, your mind, your stress hormones, food, you know, the food that you, the food choices that you make, the food that you choose to put in your body or not, it can have a profound effect as well on your overall health, your sanity, your adrenals. So when we have food sensitivities, when we're eating highly inflammatory foods, foods filled with sugar, processed foods, dyes, all the crappy stuff that can raise cortisol as well. Let's stop there for a second. We love food as medicine, and there might be some people listening who aren't aware what highly inflammatory foods are. Mm, awesome. Thank you for sharing that. So highly inflammatory foods, sugar, first of all. So sugar is very inflammatory. And if you've got any type of inflammation going on whatsoever in your body, even if it's distress, it's like taking gasoline and pouring it on an already maybe simmering fire or roaring fire. So sugar, inflammatory. Other inflammatory foods would be dairy, grains, mostly gluten-containing grains. We will say, I will just leave it there. We're not going to go real deep into this, but gluten can be very inflammatory as well. It also can heighten anxiety. If somebody is struggling with anxiety, it can also contribute to gut permeability for a variety of reasons. Uh, but, but really, you think about processed white flours in general, even if they're gluten-free, because a gluten-free cupcake is still has sugar and it has a processed flour, but that's going to spike blood sugar. And that spike in blood sugar is not going to serve your body well at all. Why is it called inflammatory? Because it's creating an inflammatory response in the body. So the body, you know, it's driving up inflammation. You're releasing more cytokines. The body then has to come. So again, when, when we have any type of inflammation, whether the inflammation is showing up for you as, as joint pain, headache, 
gut issues, maybe your big toe hurts, however that's showing up for you, then what comes to the rescue of inflammation? Think about when you get a cut on your hand, right? You get a cut and it's flaming red, or maybe you have a scratch. And, you know, sometimes people will take external cortisone cream to calm that down, right? Yes, that's how I was raised. Put some cortisone on it. <laughs> uh, yeah, our mother like slathers herself in that stuff. It's amazing. <laughs> so internally, whenever we have any type of inflammation going on, again, think about whatever, you name it, what is going to come to the rescue? You know, cortisol gets metabolized into cortisone, so it needs more. So if we've got anything, any inflammation going on, we're again, we're pumping out more cortisol. So it's putting a, a bigger strain. Now we need, I'm not vilifying cortisol, we need cortisol, we want cortisol, but what can happen is over time, then the body's like, Ugh, now I'm really done. And so it stops, we see different patterns, we'll see like an overproduction, like I'll see somebody's Dutch test come back where they're in earlier phases of this and their cortisol is like really high, like they're riding this wave and it's really, really high. But that will only last for so long because they are headed towards the, what we call the crash. And so, you know, a year from now, two years from now, we can do the same exact test and they could be flatlined. So now when they're flatlined and they've got inflammation in the gut, you know, regard, whatever, they get a cold, they don't have enough cortisol to come to the rescue. So their immune system is now, they're getting sick more and more often. Their GI issues are getting worse. Allergies, allergies, yeah, because and that, but that's all. It's all tied in because it's also the gut, you know, the gut microbiome. Well, not just not just food allergies. Seasonal, all allergies, right? They they get worse. Yes, yes, it's all interconnected. I mean, we could have a conversation about the entire body and all of these different things because everything is really truly interconnected in the body. Nothing happens in exclusion. In functional medicine, which I'm a coach, I'm not a doctor, but I've been trained to look through the lens of functional medicine. So when we look through that lens, we're looking for all of the different connections between what we're seeing in the body. And then we want to get underneath the symptoms and address root causes. So we're talking about, you know, obviously we're focusing a lot here today on stress and the adrenal glands. But some of the downstream effects to some of the things that we're talking about can absolutely show up for people in their gut, in their hormones, you know, in their thyroid function with other issues that will show up for them. Yeah. And on that note, can you tell us about why gut health matters and what sorts of problems and symptoms might be tied to poor gut health? Since you're talking about the gut now, let's go there. Gut health is like my jam. And I have to say that mostly because disease really, truly does begin in the gut. And it doesn't mean that that's the root cause necessarily, because again, we can go underneath that. And very oftentimes we'll see stress. But in the gut microbiome, you know, we have a lot of good endemic bacteria. We have a mucosal lining that's only a couple cells thick, but things like stress can negatively affect that mucosal lining. It actually can make it too thin. So we don't have a strong immune response within the gut itself. And then we can have bacterial or pathogenic overgrowths. There can be a lot of, uh, you know, crazy badness, so to speak, that can happen when we don't have a strong innate immune system in the gut and we don't have good microbial balance. So that will show up for people in all different ways, Emily. I mean, that's 
you know, the very obvious ways are going to be heartburn, gas, bloating, you know, constipation, loose stools, visible food in your stool. So there's those obvious things, but stemming from the gut, we will see all kinds of different issues in the body always. I mean, it's connected. So gut brain connection, very, very strong. I know that you've had another guest on the podcast who talked a lot about that. So anxiety, depression, brain fog, I'm actually working with a client right now, not a child, but he's, he's 53, but he's experiencing a lot of neurological issues. And I know there's toxicity involved, but there's also a lot of gut issues involved and food sensitivities and things like that. So driving up again, that inflammation that's showing up in the brain. So yeah, gut health is huge. And we will start to see from stress over time, stress can show up for people in the gut. And so some other things that you didn't mention, maybe not having regular bowel movements or having stomach pains. Oh, yeah. Even, even dull, dull stomach pains or sharp. Right, right. Yeah. And we think about what I said earlier when we were talking about stress. So when you're in a stressed fight or flight state, so the fight or flight, the body is deprioritizing digestion. So the body is not going to release as much stomach acid, which is needed to break down and denature the protein that we eat. It's not going to release the pancreatic enzymes that are put out to, again, break down foods, break down carbs and fat. So food is sitting in the stomach maldigested. It's fermenting. It can cause gas and bloating. It gets sent on down the digestive tract in these undigested bits, which can in and of themselves cause issues, increase the chance of food sensitivities. So we have that as being a big issue for people as well, because we're in that stressed state, which is inhibiting digestion. Well, yeah, we have had a few people come on here and the gut, it's kind of one of the main topics we have to talk about and keep circling around. Last time we've talked about the gut and autism and the gut and your microbiome. And now you're talking about the gut and anxiety. So I think the topic is just like many layers and we just need to continue reintroducing it and, and driving home that we need to take care of ourselves. Well, I think that's it. It's, it's that we have to take care of ourselves because our body is our house, you know, and so is our house healthy? This house that we live in 24-7, is it healthy or is it unhealthy? So really taking that step back and simplifying it and looking at your overall health and wellness and, and reminding yourself that health is not complicated, but in order to achieve that optimal health that we all desire, and you know, of course, our audience here are moms and dads that are really, really showing up for their children and their children with special needs. So they want their house to be like absolutely optimal because they're needed to help another person's house be really optimal, right? So in order to optimize health, we think, well, what does the body need us to be maximizing? So maximizing can be anything from, you know, the raw materials like our vitamins, our, our water, sunshine, air, joy, but, you know, could be meditation, yoga, like what is it in your bucket of maximize that you need more of? And might be different than somebody else because your situation is a little different. So actually, the more stress you have, the more self-care you need. It's, it's not a negotiable. There has to be this balance So because you're going to be countering the added amount of stress. So what do you need to be maximizing? What do you need to be minimizing? So again, think of that bucket 
everybody's going to have like a lot of the same things in there. Of course, we want to minimize toxins. We want to minimize crap food, inflammatory processed foods. We want to minimize like, you know, angry, hateful people in our life, like all of those things. But uh, what else does your particular body and situation ask? What is your particular body and situation asking you to really minimize? That might be different. Some of your genetics might be different. You might really need to stay away from toxins more than the person who won the genetic lottery and they can process, you know, heavy metals better than you can, for instance. You know, maybe you absolutely can't touch gluten, but somebody else can have that, you know, every once in a while and they're okay. But you really need to get to know yourself. So you realize, well, what do I need to be minimizing? And sometimes even we're not, we're talking about food and nutrients, but some of it is even right now, the season I am in in my life, I need to minimize my extracurricular activities. Like I need to learn how to find the joy in saying no, because I, my priority right now is taking care of myself and my children or, you know, myself and my special niche child. I, it is not the time in my life that I'm signing up for all these committees or taking on added responsibility, or maybe if, if travel is a wonderful thing sometimes, but sometimes it's too stressful, great. You find what is going to work for you. So that goes into that minimized bucket. And then the last one is the healing environment. So prioritizing a healing environment at any given stage of your life that is going to look differently. But if you are, say, in a state where you find that you're like, oh, shoot, you've listened to this podcast, and you're like, oh, I think I have adrenal fatigue, and I'm showing up with some gut issues. Well, that healing environment for you needs to be very, very supportive of what you're doing right now and your healing. So that's, again, going to mean more boundaries, more self-care, more mindfulness, more meditation. And that's going to change. You know, right now you're in a, your, your child, you're pouring out a lot to your child. So that healing environment is going to look very different than it will, you know, 10, 20 years from now. So, but, you know, kind of stepping back and reminding yourself, okay, the body is not it's not innately broken. It's just always asking us to maximize, minimize, and prioritize. So taking inventory, we have to take inventory and say, what do I need? What what am I being asked for? Yeah, no, that's great. And I think so many times, myself included, when I was in a fight or flight state and trying to heal my son, I never really thought about how healing myself was going to help his healing. But it's a huge part of it. And I just keep, you know, when you're on the airplane, they always say to put your oxygen mask on first. Yes. Mm -hmm. And for many years, most of my life, I never really thought much about that. But lately, I've been thinking about that when it comes to taking care of other people as caregivers, we really need to take care of ourselves first. Otherwise, your child's not going to get all the things in the world that you want for them and hope for them and are working for because you don't have enough. So lastly here, keeping in mind the heavy load that many parents of children with special needs carry, what would be your best piece of advice for them in so far as making sure their health is optimized so that they can show up to care for their children? I would say it's finding time for yourself within your day and scheduling that in as a top priority. A top priority in your life is taking care of your child, putting food on your table, getting the laundry done. I mean, you think about all the other things that are a top priority. So often we put ourselves at the very, very bottom of the list if there's time and look at caring for ourselves and self-care 
and mindfulness, all the things we've been talking about today as being optional. They're not optional. They're truly not optional. I wish I could say that they are optional, but they come and they show up for you in your health. They show up for you in your physical health. Those symptoms that start to show up are just love notes from your body. And the body is asking you to change something. Again, maximize, minimize, prioritize. And we can't do it all at once. But can you start to show up for yourself in a small way, consistently and intentionally, and you've scheduled that in so that you come first And if that is triggering you and you're having all kinds of feelings about, oh my gosh, I can't come first. That makes me, I feel so selfish, all of that. Do some work around that. Get some support. You know, there's there, I mean, many parents, I'm sure who are listening, maybe you do have a support group, a coach, a counselor, a therapist. Very, very important. You know, you need support to be able to show up and do what you're doing. So whatever that support looks like for you. And then always be taking inventory and saying, okay, what can I do a little bit more of? Get help. You know, if you can get help, get help. Are there things in your life that you can release? You know, is there a a teenager in your neighborhood that you can hire to come even do laundry and cut up healthy fruits and vegetables and food prep for you? And just take a little bit of that burden off of you so that you carve out more time for yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if that doesn't work, it sounds like the worst thing in the world to me, but wake up earlier. I've heard that one. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And that might mean at night, you're giving up a little bit of that time. You know, so a lot of parents will stay up really late because that's the only quiet time that they have. But if you go to bed a little bit earlier, you'll be supporting the circadian rhythm a little bit better too, but going to bed a little bit earlier and then yes, getting up so that you start your day. I think it's so critical to our overall well-being, how we start our day. So if we start our day jolted into the stressors of the day versus lovingly easing our way into a day where we have some time for gratitude, journaling, and mindfulness, and whatever that looks like for you, or just really drinking that warm cup of tea and staring out at the beautiful you know, sunrise, If you're starting your day like that, your experience is going to be incredibly different than if you're catapulting your day into the stressors that are, you know, showing up for you right in your face. So that takes discipline, as you know, Emily, (laughs) being someone who doesn't, who's not a morning person, it does take discipline. Absolutely. But you can form more new habits and the body and the mind and your experience is going to positively reinforce you getting up every day because you're going to start to love it. You know, I've been doing a quiet time for about 10 years consistently. And I started when my children were little because I went to a women's conference where the speaker talked to us about the importance of starting your day and quiet time. And I thought she was out of her mind. I was like, are you kidding me? I mean, the earlier I get up, the earlier my kids get up, I can't do this. I made all the excuses, but I started I actually started with a gratitude journal and that was it. That was all I would do that. And then I got this devotional that was one page it was like the tiniest little thing. And I still use it today because I love it. And I just have happened to be blessed to be, have been able to expand my time that I spend, but I'm like, okay, I can do this. I can hide in the bathroom for a few minutes and I can have this time for myself, but it, it has changed me as a parent. It's changed my experience in my day tremendously. Yeah, that's beautiful. I had so much fun talking with Jennifer. You by now know she is my big sister and I am so lucky that we're both passionate about the same things and I have a sister who's a health coach that I can 
rely on for all of my health-related questions. I even will pay my own functional medicine doctor and then have my sister read my labs and evaluate what the plan my doctor made for me is and, and, and let me know if it, that sounds good or if she would do anything different or change anything. So I'm super lucky I've got her in my back pocket and I'm definitely excited that we had the opportunity to have her on our show today so that you guys could hear from her as well. To keep up with Jennifer and learn more about her practice, she's always posting free content, tips, recipes, how-tos, information about, particularly a lot about women's health on her Instagram account. I think it is Jennifer Regazzo. That's R-A-G-A-Z-Z-O. You can also find her on keepingitrealwithjen.com. We will post this all in our show notes. Thank you so much for listening and we hope that you enjoyed. And if you did enjoy, please give us a rating or a review. You can only leave reviews on Apple Podcast. They really help and they mean so, so, so much to us. At this point, we read every single one and cherish them, share them around our team, and it keeps us going. We are a nonprofit, fully owned and operated by the Who is Carter Foundation. So neat little story behind that. And we are all just out here on a mission to change the conversation around childhood brain injury from one of limitations to one of hope and possibility. Thank you. Be well.